Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host today, Zach Griffiths, Senior Investment Grade Strategist. Joining me is our leisure and gaming analyst, David Bussey. David, thanks for taking the time today. Hey, Zach. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's jump right in with our opener icebreaker question. That's been a great way to get these discussions started. If you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic credit market or sector specific data for 2023, what would it be and why? Yeah, that would be really nice. Definitely. There, there's certainly a number of sector specific data pieces that I'd love to get a sneak peek. Uh, namely within my space, it's probably the core industry top line metric. So for lodging that's rep par revenue per available room, Myth travel research provides great industry data on that front. So that'd be really helpful, giving us a look at kind of the sustainability of lodging demand for the remainder of the year, as well as looking at, you know, what hotel chains and regions are performing the best in the back half of the year to see kind of how trends play out, you know, we have decent visibility through the summer period and in the second quarter from what we've heard from management teams, but it would be really helpful just looking at the back half. Same thing for the gaming space. It's the top line, it's gross gaming revenues, which is a key top line metric. And again, just kind of looking at whether it's Vegas driving results or results similar in different regional markets, you know, based on what we saw in the first quarter, everything's looked pretty resilient. There have been some pockets of softening or flattening, particularly in the South for gaming, as well as flattening demand and economy-focused hotel chains. But overall, demand remained really intact and, and visibility through the first half looks strong. So it'd be interesting to see the back half. But just more broadly, I guess, in terms of like general macroeconomic, unemployment rates would be the big ones for us. It's a great look at the overall health of the consumer. We typically view low unemployment rates as a key supporting metric for leisure demand. Kind of fits this underlying notion that as long as consumers have jobs, and they have PTO, they're going to travel, especially coming off a restrictive COVID period where we're traveling was limited. And so I feel like we've had a few discussions with broader analyst meetings and kind of as you outlined here, leisure and gaming has remained strong, even though there's been this narrative around a slowdown coming into 2023. It doesn't seem like we've seen that yet. Is that consistent? With what you're still seeing, I know we just kind of got through first quarter earnings season. Any surprises there? And I guess maybe just dovetail that into your sector recommendation that you have right now and what some of the driving forces behind that are. That's definitely consistent with what we've seen so far through the first quarter. Like I mentioned, there has been some flattening and some softening in certain regions like namely for gaming the South, because in the first quarter last year, that had really strong demand. Their travel restrictions in the South were a little bit easier, a little more lax. So 
you know, they saw higher visitations there. Same thing for economy and mid-scale hotels, as well as vacation rentals, where a year ago or last uh, first quarter of 2022, when Omicron was still disrupting travel, people wanted to go to vacation rental properties where they weren't restricted by COVID restrictions within confines of a hotel. So there has been some flattening there, but overall, the health remains really strong and visibility for uh, the second quarter looks strong. In terms of our recommendations within the space, kind of starting with IG Leisure, we moved to a market perform from an outperform at the beginning of the year. To preface that, it depends what index you look at. Dan's China is 25% of ICE Bank of America index, whereas it's not included in Bloomberg's IG index. That is a major driver of spread widening. So if you include it, leisure is one of the widest sectors in IG. If you exclude it, the rest of the constituents trade roughly in line with the IG index. So we exclude it just for our analysis to kind of focus on, on those IG lodging names, which make up the core of the constituents. And our market perform recommendation there really reflects a mix of companies that have restored leverage back to or close to pre-pandemic levels and named that have had a more protracted recovery and still deleveraging is top of mind. So notably, Marriott, Booking, Holdings, and Choice Hotels make up the majority of that group. They've already driven credit metrics back to pre-pandemic levels. So they're starting to shift to more shareholder-friendly and M&A-focused capital allocation strategies. And we expect some of those efforts, at least on the M&A front, to be somewhat challenged by the cost environment, as well as some buyer-seller valuation disconnect. At the same time, there's names in the IG area like Expedia, which continues to focus on you know driving down leverage even below its pre-pandemic level. So there's a mix there, and it kind of evens out on our end to, to market perform. For high-yield leisure, we maintained our outperform that we had last year. That's primarily weighted in, in gaming, recreational, travel, and, and hotels. Unlike the IG sector, many of the credits in high-yield have yet to see credit metrics retrace pre-pandemic levels. A lot of that has to do with the cruise sector, which is well documented by our, our colleague, Jim Dunn, just kind of the points there. They had a much slower recovery due to a longer restart process, as well as just getting ships back in, in operation and more sticky COVID travel restrictions. So we expect the additional leverage improvements from the cruise sector, as well as other names in hotel and gaming. Great. Well, that's very helpful framing up how you're thinking about the sector broadly. And it sounds like from this discussion that you're basing your recommendation more on fundamentals. Are there any technical or relative value considerations either within these sectors that you'd want to highlight or considerations when you're thinking about your recommendations broadly that are worth highlighting? Yeah. You know, most of it, I would say is definitely geared toward the fundamental side. Obviously, and it's something that we've noticed with some of our, our clients is they tend to they tend to look at the sector and they think, okay, so which areas are exposed to downturns? And that tends to go with, with companies that still have high leverage. At the same time, there's names that might be exposed to a downturn, for example, in, in IG lodging, you know, operators that have ownership exposure like host hotels and are more levered to a downturn. Yeah, they're responsible for staffing, overhead, and, and capital investments compared to asset light hotel managers. We've seen some winding and spread there. So I would say the majority of it kind of comes down to the fundamental look, as well as looking at potential debt maturities and playing out how free cash flows might and, and liquidity might play out in the story. 
So what would you need to see to change your recommendation? And I know that we outlined a few of the key sector-specific metrics that you look at, the unemployment rate certainly as a key health barometer of the consumer, which has been extremely strong, the unemployment rate down to 3.4%. It's been incredible just to see how tight the labor market remains despite all of the monetary policy tightening we've seen. But are there any other economic catalysts that you're focused on specifically that could cause you to change your recommendation either in IG or high yield? Yeah, you know, for us, we, we really lean on those the core kind of unemployment as well as the consumer spending and discretionary spending, just kind of peeling it back a layer to kind of give you an insight on the unemployment rate. You know, historically, it hasn't done a great job of forecasting the magnitude of a change, but there's a high correlation between room demand and changes in unemployment. And we use that as kind of a predictor for inflection points in the cycle. So if we look back at past recession, uh, a significant rise in unemployment rates could be a strong indication of tougher times to come for leisure travel. And it's worth pointing out that, you know, we still have a really meaningful cushion, obviously compared just based on where unemployment's at now at 3.4% versus pre great financial crisis when it was at five to 6% and then rose to 10% at the peak recession. So with where the Fed is projecting unemployment, you know, there's still a meaningful cushion there. You know, I mean, those are probably the core ones as well as just management capital allocation decisions. Outside of that, the, the technicals, you know, aren't really playing out as, as strong within our recommendation. I'm thinking about what you're seeing and sort of the mix of leisure and hotels, either focused on the leisure side or the business side. Has there been any indication of sort of a have and have nots within your sector where perhaps the upper echelon of consumers in terms of wealth are driving this strength? Or as far as what you've looked at, has it remained relatively broad based or at least from what you can glean from performance across your coverage? And because that's something that we're considering when thinking about the macro view, it's incredible just to see how resilient the economy and consumer has been, and we're trying to balance, is this really being driven by a small percentage of consumers or has the resilience been broad and indicative of perhaps a, an economy that can remain resilient looking ahead to the sure. half and of It's a good question because we have seen a rise in kind of those upper scale, higher end hotel chains. We attribute that in part to a recovery in the business travel side, which has been a lot more protracted. I mentioned earlier, we're seeing some flattening in the lower end hotel chains like economy and mid-scale, but they're still running at roughly 10 to 15% to ahead of rep par levels ahead of 2019. So it's really been resilient. So it's not like the upper echelon are going to go down to these economy mid-scale chains. So that group is still seeing strong demand. And that kind of plays into the cruise recovery as well, which has typically catered, at least from like Carnival's perspective, Carnival Cruise, to lower end consumers. There's a big value gap there. The prices for cruise is extremely cheap relative to hotels. So we're seeing really strong demand in that region as well. But at the same time, we do acknowledge that there has been a lot of international demand, and that includes people traveling to Europe for vacation. And that, you know, could cannibalize some of the domestic travel in the U.S., but, you know, areas where basically travel has been shut down and is now reopening are seeing really strong indications of demand, both domestic as well as from 
international traveler that can get there, depending on the airlift capacity. Some very helpful insights there, thinking about the big picture and kind of the international considerations, the strength of the dollar that we've seen and how that might be playing into consumer behavior. And so just to come back to your recommendation, market perform on IG leisure and you maintain your outperform on high yield leisure. How do you think that compares to what you're hearing from clients? Do you think clients are positioned similarly in your sector or is there more of a positive or negative view? How are you thinking about client positioning based on what you've heard? so far to start. Yeah. I think there's still generally a positive view on the IG side, just given the, the meaningful recovery and credit metrics that we witnessed last year and into the start of 2023, as well as just the overall resilience and leisure trend. At the same time though, clients are definitely aware that, you know, there are economic headwinds that have been persistent. And at the same time, leisure travel is a discretionary area that is exposed to a downturn. So they're not turning a blind eye to that. So they're trying to maybe pinpoint a timeline for when we could start to see whether it be a normalization or a pullback. And it's been difficult to do because management teams have even kicked that, you know, into potentially 2024. We've heard some management teams mention that it might be a late 2023, might be a 2024. They're kind of throwing their hands up. That being said, like I mentioned earlier, clients are aware of, of smaller pockets within the sector that might be more exposed to a downturn. So like ownership exposure from host hotels versus an asset light model, which has less capital intensive costs. We've seen some spread widening from host hotels versus Marriott. And that's a good example of ownership model versus an asset light model. On the high yield side, it's kind of a similar story depending on the credit. So there are credits in high yield that have recovered nicely in terms of credit metrics and are now taking a more cautious approach to capital allocation. So that includes Boyd Gaming, which is a regional casino operator, as well as Hilton, who, who's a double B operator. Both names traded well inside of the double B index and both have a pretty nice cushion if we did start to see a pullback where they have room within their credit metrics to kind of stave off some softness and demand. There still is some skepticism for names that have a longer path to recovery. Again, mentioning the cruise sector, investors continue to harbor some concerns there. That being said, we have started to see investor sentiment strengthen after the last couple of earnings reports. They're kind of playing, we're going to wait and see, you got to prove it approach, but they've become more comfortable with the pace of the load factor recovery. They had cruises had a really strong wave season, which is basically Black Friday through end of March, where booking demand was off the charts. So they're starting to become more comfortable with certain areas and there's still opportunities in areas where there's some skepticism, but I think overall, the feeling is relatively positive. Switching gears a bit, what are you expecting for new issue activity in 2023? And what are you expecting to drive new deals or perhaps keep issuers on the sidelines? Yeah, so we don't have a great M&A pipeline for new issuance. There's just not a lot of deals in the book. Most deals that have come across since last year have been bolted on and cash funded. However, yesterday, I will note, we are hearing some rumors around a potential choice hotels takeover of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. So that is exciting. You know, deal details around the deal are, are still very limited and the deal has not come close to materializing. It's all rumors at this point. But that being said, that could be something where we see a $9 billion takeout if we estimate 50%. That could be roughly 4 to $5 billion in new M&A related debt. So that's one thing I would call out, but certainly not in the pipeline yet. Outside of that, 
even though, like I mentioned, our IG leisure names have restored leverage back to pre-pandemic levels, they have expressed interest in M&A. We think that the high cost of capital environment, as well as you know, just some stickiness around valuations from buyer to seller could make that more difficult and we could see more bolt-on acquisitions. In gaming, there is M&A room for inside the online sports betting. Again, we haven't seen activity yet, but we think that's an area that could definitely be of interest and could result in some M&A related debt. On the refi front, activity was pretty busy last year with the cruise sector as management teams got to have their 23 maturities and start to, to work on their 24 maturities. But based on these efforts from the cruise operators and their current liquidity positions, we don't really see a need for either company to either Royal or, or Caribbean to start accessing the new issuance market over the next two years. And we think the high cost of capital environment will incentivize them to work with free cash flow and liquidity to get through a higher cost environment. And so as far as your expectations in general, it sounds like maybe a down year in aggregate in terms of issuance relative to 2022. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I think that's fair. But depending if we see an uptick in, in M&A from, like I mentioned earlier, that Choice Hotels deal or maybe some M&A inside the, the gaming space and, and digital. But generally speaking, I, I think we're expecting a dampened period for issuance this year in the sector. Have there been any deals so far this year that have been interesting and indicative of investor demand for paper at this point? Or has it also been quiet to start the year and that's something that you expect to yeah, continue? Yeah, we did have early in the year. Caesars Entertainment issued $2 billion of eight-year first lane notes, as well as $2.5 billion of term loans to refi existing term loan debt. This was upsized, I think it was upsized by roughly $750 million and priced at the, the low end of IPT. So um, there was definitely some, some interest there. Part of that, though, management had released a preliminary guidance just showing an impressive print in Vegas. So that helped stimulate some demand. Wind Resort. Also did a smaller $600 million refi. That was a name that we had expected to do a refi this year. Booking Hotels did just recently issue $1.75 billion of Euro bonds in the Euro market, which are earmarked for general corporate purposes. But that's a single B name that has recently ramped up its shareholder reward. They did $8 billion of buybacks over the last 12 months and are projecting $22 billion within the next four years. Uh, most of that expected to be funded with free cash flow, but it looks like they're willing to, to tap the market to help fund those efforts. Great. And I think you kind of already alluded to this, but there's no big issuers that you anticipate tapping the market over the next three to six months outside of this potential M&A deal. Is that Yeah, is that's that exactly fair? right. Yep. And so moving to kind of risks to the outlook, what are the things that keep you up at night when thinking about the sector and your recommendations on the sector in particular? I've talked a lot about so far. And again, it's the obvious one. It's the deep and more extended recession and a significant pullback in, in consumer discretionary spending, uh, especially if there's a pronounced rise in unemployment rates. The tilt and preference for consumer spending on leisure services over other discretionary products has been a really nice tailwind. So if there was a pullback on that, naturally, since discretionary spending is already so tilted that way, it could definitely be impactful for the sector. I will say from like a less obvious standpoint, we do think about how business travel is going to end up playing out in lodging. And there's still a recovery ongoing and, and there's kind of that last leg. 
the recoveries mainly come from smaller, medium-sized businesses, but the change in the hybrid work environment has provided a nice benefit for leisure travel, which is kind of a plus at the same time as consumers are blending their, their work trips with their leisure trips. They've conveniently coined it leisure. I haven't heard that before, actually. It's a little lazy, but it's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, this has resulted in higher demand for shoulder days, so Thursdays and Sundays, and then weekends as well. And a lot of our operators too, like the Marriott's and Hilton's, have noted that their length, average length of stay has also oh. increased. But on the downside, when we think about how has the, the business travel changed from the pandemic, we expect sales-related travel client, external client facing travel in person, that's not going to change. That still has its value. But on the downside, meetings that were previously done face-to-face internally, companies could be more cost-effective if they used Zoom or telecommunications, which everyone is now familiar with after the pandemic. So there's a portion of of business travel that we're not quite sure how that's going to return. And then one other thing I would mention on the gaming side, that's definitely a you know, a subject and has yet to fall apart yet is, is the margin profiles that were gained from, from casino operators during the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, they cut a lot of their costs, especially promotional marketing costs, your casino buffet, that's gone. So what that did is it improved property level margins at the casinos. And so far, the operators have yet to really meaningfully give back those margin gains. Um, and this has also been benefited by a, a really elevated levels of gross gaming revenue. So we're of the mindset that a lot of these gains are going to stick through for the long haul. But we do believe that if we saw a pullback in gross gaming revenues, this could lead to an increase in marketing activity, which could dig in a little bit to those gains. Interesting. I also wanted to hit on a potential risk, or you can tell me if I'm off base here on the gaming side. Is there any regulatory risk there, whether it be with online betting or anything like that? I feel like if anything, that's all been moving in the quote unquote right direction as far as more states opening up to that. But is there is there any regulatory risk there or other event risk that you're focused on for the space? Yeah, I would say on the online side, it's kind of state by state in terms of game taxes and what each state charges for, for taxes. And so some areas like the South have better tax margins just because the taxes are lower versus out, you know, Northeast where taxes are higher. So there's some differences there, but there's nothing really that's come up that has really grabbed our attention in terms of like major, you know, gaming legal issues. The Macau situation and I could probably do a whole call on Macau by itself, but that remains a more sticky situation. They got through their concession renewals, so they removed a pretty significant overhang there. Um, but that's the region that is kind of subject to China's ruling. So there's a lot of influence from China, despite Macau being its own special administrative region. There's definitely some uncertainties there that are kind of baked into valuation. We'll have to set up a Macau podcast after this to dive into all the intricacies there. Yeah, maybe but, we can go to Macau too. To, to yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I'd be up for a little due diligence on all of yeah, these uh, casinos perhaps <laughs> in the future. Uh, but let's get down to brass tacks. This has been all extremely helpful kind of thinking about the sector going through your recommendation. Let's get your top picks and pans as you're thinking about what you've been recommending to clients or conversely recommending sure, to avoid. Sure. 
So we're really constructive on the cruise recovery. Uh, I'll cut that out for now just because I know that I don't want to overstep on Jim, but we'll focus kind of on, on the lodging and gaming side. So for IG Lodging, our top pick is Expedia. That's a company that continues to see strong travel demand and has recently benefited from an uptick in international and urban hotel demand. Additionally, management continues to prioritize deleveraging and, and target gross leverage below what their pre-pandemic leverage was. The company is exposed to a pullback in leisure travel and has less exposure to corporate and group compared to a peer like Marriott. But we like the incremental spread there. Also, during down cycles, OTAs have typically gained share from big box hotels. We're looking to fill some of their occupancy occupancy gap. At the same time, we like going down the ratings tier for Expedia compared to Booking Hotel, which is a single A name. And Expedia offers additional spread compared to Booking. And Booking has recently ramped up some of their share buyback program. In high yield for gaming, Caesars Entertainment is our top pick and out of the U.S. casino operators. The bonds there offer some of the most yield within our U.S.-based casino operators. Management has also continues to emphasize a deleveraging strategy. In fact, the CEO recently just laid out basically a two to three year plan for deleveraging through 2025. It includes roughly 1 billion of free cash flow towards paying down debt. Company has a digital program that has been burning cash flow or burning EBITDA, but is recently starting to turn the corner. And they expect to break even at the end of the year and hopefully get to roughly 500 million plus once fully matured of EBITDA. So we really like the fundamentals there. We like the, the deleveraging story there. We like management's focus on that. For investors looking for more defensive play, kind of double B in casino space, Boyd Gaming is a regional operator. They've maintained a really conservative leverage profile coming out of, out of COVID, more conservative than pre-pandemic. And they also retain ownership of real estate assets. So they have another layer of balance sheet protection on that side if they were to see a, a softening in consumer demand. Also, regional casinos just naturally have a little more protection than, than destination casinos if there's a downturn. If travel declines, gamblers are going to prefer to go to their local casino, which is a drive away versus flying out to Vegas. In terms of PANs, I would say Choice Hotels, which we've talked about. You know, that's kind of the most obvious one in our IG space. The name where we see some notable event risk, leisure-focused franchiser, but the benefit from the run and, and demand for economy and, and mid-scale hotels allowed them to return credit metrics back to pre-pandemic levels. And now management has really increased its appetite for M&A. And we see the potential for a deal like the rumors around a Wyndham Hotels and Resort, you know, could push the name into fallen angel territory. So that, that's kind of the underperform, the pan on the IG side, on the high yield side from our gaming. It's Light and Wonder, which is a gaming supplier. Last year, they sold off their lottery and sports betting business and used the proceeds to, to drive down leverage. However, that when they sold off that lottery business, it did expose them to a heavy exposure to gaming supplies. And so gaming machines and supplies, when a downturn hits, casino operators are going to cut down on their capital expenses. And that means they're not going to replace their gaming machines. So it's an area that's more exposed to a downturn versus the lottery business, and, and they no longer have that insulation. Um, and they also have a social casino business, which just really hasn't been tested in a real downturn. So that's, that's where we stand on those. And those are our general picks and bands. David, this has been awesome, really helpful for me as I'm sort of thinking about the consumer from a strategy perspective, what it means for the macro pictures. Really appreciate you taking the time. That's David Bussey, our leisure and gaming analyst in the U.S. Thanks, David. Great. Thank you, Zach.
And thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you next time on a future episode of No More Risk Better. Thanks. Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.